We'll talk later about that. Good morning. Welcome to worship. Glad you're here with us this day. If you grab your bulletins, some announcements as we get started, which I left my list of all my announcements somewhere in this building, so I'm going to try to remember in the recesses of my mind. All right, so anyway, there is a tear-off portion for guests. I do remember this. If uh, your guests fill this out, put in the offering plate as it goes by, and please put any prayer needs you may have at the bottom of the yellow side and we'll pray on our staff meetings on Tuesday. On the back are opportunities for the week. I'm looking through my head as I speak here. What was that? Lamingtons, all right, we'll start with that, that's good. I was asked as I came in, so what is a Lamington? I don't know what country it's from, Australia? Australia, Australia. all right, so it's this dessert in Australia that's fantastical from what I understand. It's like pound cake drizzled with chocolate and coconut and the GAs are making these things, or maybe the leaders of the GAs. I don't know if the kids are technically making them. Maybe they are. I don't know. And then next Sunday, bring dollar bills. That would be my best. Uh, they're only selling these things for $1 each. Buy a whole bunch of them. Like get five of them, pass them around for dessert after church, after you go to lunch. But they're $1 each. They're called Lamingtons. And the money is going to be used for the GAs as they uh, do their uh, missions and programs. So it helps the GAs for their mission offering and programs. And then you get free coffee with every Lamington. It's like I was telling them in the first service. If you buy five, you get five cups of coffee. It's going to be great. So, remember, yeah, yeah. Everybody's going to be really hyper in the last service. That's good. So uh, bring those, bring money next Sunday to bless our GAs and really support them. They've done a great job of putting signs all over. Sandra, you're part of that Lamington thing, right? You didn't help out with that at all? Mm. Are the GAs themselves making them, or is it the adults who are making them? All right, very exciting. All right, so anyway, remember that next Sunday. There is, right after the service, a Nicholsville blanket tying party. The last of the Nicholsville blanket parties, from what I understand. So, maybe if everybody, if enough people comes, and we need buttons. What kind of buttons do we need? Any size, just the normal size. Okay, so small, big doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean the bucket over the bucket. Bucket for buttons to donate. Bring them in if you have buttons in the Family Life Center. It goes towards a craft for the Nicholsville trip, and keep them in prayer as they leave early November, November fourth, I believe. Um, encounter service tonight at 5, youth at 6, handbells. And then tomorrow night we do have our church council meeting, 6.30. Uh, then Wednesday we have a full lineup. And remember our quarterly business meeting at 6.15. And then the teenagers are going to the mountains on Thursday. So good, good week together. Now let me think of the other announcements that I made that I may have forgotten besides yours. Is there any others you remember, Tim? Mm-hmm. Shoes, shoes. We have two more weeks to collect shoes for the Dominican Republic and Los Humildes. 130 families we're trying to get shoes on. We are about halfway there, which is great. Praise God for that. But we need about, you know, 60, 70 more pairs of shoes. And we need a lot of the children's sizes as well. So what, as long as they're athletic shoes, not dress shoes and that kind of thing, as long as they're athletic shoes, as long as they're not too worn, we will take them. We're going to ship them. They're going to have a wonderful Christmas Eve celebration as we put shoes on everybody in Los Humildes for our Christmas present. So I think that'll be a huge blessing. You can just imagine this community that never gets Christmas gets shoes for every person there. So they're very excited about that. Please consider bringing in shoes. Get them to me, put them in the boxes, and uh, thank you so much for that. Do you want to go first or video first? All right, we're going to show a video about our Operation Christmas Child, and then Karen will come and share after the video. never been out of the country, but because of Operation Christmas Child, I am an international missionary. 
You feel like you're doing your job or what God has called you to do when you see that unity of other fellow believers coming together in one common cause. Knowing that we're making a difference, knowing that we get to make a global difference together, and it unites the local churches together, both in the states and internationally. At the same time, it's getting people locally to think globally. It's a simple way for people to think about the world, and not just think about it, but actually do something. Every single shoebox is a child who's meeting Christ. And just remembering the importance of every box and really just leaving the rest of it to God. The work of Operation Christmas Child is having quite a big impact. Jesus loves you. A box is not just a gift. In the hands of the local pastors, these boxes can be used as a tool to touch a whole community. They never seen that someone care for them, someone give for them. When I see a smile face of a children, just like inspiring me to serve ministry. They are not only getting these gift boxes, but they also get the greatest gift booklet that they can take home and read that Jesus is the greatest gift of all. From the inside, I want to say thank you for OCC. Thank you for a beautiful time. So thank you so much. Uh, we intentionally invest a lot of time in training our team in order to make sure that the gospel is clearly communicated throughout our outreach events and the Greatest Journey classroom. We want to disciple to make a, a stronger foundation of empowering the new generation. They know the story of God and they can tell others by using the books. Every shoebox is really the beginning of the journey of evangelism and discipleship, and that leads into multiplication. And the multiplication of lives, the multiplication of churches, really impact on communities and a ripple effect around the world. You begin the process as you pack a shoebox. We, we value shoebox, and we thank you for the, the hand who packs the box. We're part of a team, and we're partners in the gospel through Operation Christmas Child and through Samaritan's Purse. Aren't you excited to be part of this ministry? Aren't you inspired to go home and pack a shoebox? How will you be a part of Operation Christmas Child Ministry? Have you been bringing items all year long and we've got them sorted in our tubs ready for the packing party? Will you be coming to the packing party on Sunday, November the 3rd, where we will together pack 200 shoeboxes? Will you contribute toward those 200 shoeboxes? getting to their destination. A Samaritan's Purse asks for $9 per shoe box. That takes care of the packing materials, the trucks, the planes, the boats, the camels, and, and getting these shoe boxes to the boys and girls all over the world. Um, they will take our 200 shoe boxes whether we give any money or not. But we want to be financially responsible with this ministry. So in the month of October, we ask that you contribute toward the shipping of these 200 boxes. Whether you put cash with, with an indication that it's for Operation Christmas Child, or whether you write a check to Mechanicsville Baptist Church and put in the notation that it is for the shipping of these shoe boxes. Another way to participate is will you pack your own shoe boxes at home and bring them in by Sunday, November 24th. We'll pack the 200 together, but can we get 357 shoe boxes this year? Can 357 boys and girls be blessed by our church sharing in this marvelous ministry that brings joy and hope and Jesus to hurting boys and girls.
Thank you. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did for us, that what you did we could not do on our own, and that you have given us uh, a faith and a new life in your Spirit. And the law of sin has been uh, defeated. We thank you for what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus. God, we pray for this service. We pray that we would be mindful of who we are in you, and that you would remind us as we sing and as we proclaim your word. And so, God, we give you this service, and we do pray that your spirit would dwell amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And good morning, everybody. Let us stand and sing number 149. Praise him, praise him. Number 149. Please join us. open and turn to page 334 for our responsive reading. Page 334, the Spirit of God. I'll do the worship leader. Uh, the men will be together. Paul will do with the worshipers. And then ladies, you have your own as well. So let's start. The Spirit of God. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? The Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the concerns of a man except the Spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the concerns of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, in order to know what has been freely given to us by not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may Let us turn to 429, our hymnals, Sweet Hour of Prayer, number 429. Please stand and sing with us.
Good morning. God of all creations, all you have made is good, and your love endures forever. You bring forth bread from the earth and fruit from the vine. Nourish us with these gifts that we might be for the world, signs of your gracious presence in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Oh, 
bulletin this morning that the flowers on the altar are given to the glory of God and in honor of John and Edna Munn who will celebrate their 70th wedding anniversary tomorrow. (laughs) They married when they were 10 years old. No, congratulations. We are so glad for you. What a milestone in marriage and Thank you for sharing these flowers with us uh, this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, as we come before you on a day that has been given to us by you, we are blessed. We are blessed to call you Savior. We are blessed to call you Lord. We are blessed to call you Redeemer. May we, Father, come together this morning in celebration of your love for us and of our dependence on you. We're thankful that as we pray, we can mention those who have needs. For those who are ill and recuperating, for those who are facing uncertain days because of surgery and cancer treatments and all of those things that seem to plague us as human beings. We give all of this to you. And know, Father, that in your time you can answer. And in accordance with your will. I'm thankful, Father, for the power of your love to redeem and to put a song in our hearts and a message on our lips. May we, Father, be willing to share that message with a world that is lost. We're thankful for our missionaries and for the work that we can do alongside them. Help us, Father, to always hold them up in prayer. They go where we do not go, and yet we can go with them through our gifts and through our prayers. We're thankful, Father, for this church, for the spirit in this place, for the work that is before us now, And in the future. Bless us as we open your word this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The 22nd Psalm is our scripture this morning. The entire uh, 22nd Psalm. All 31 verses. So we will begin reading this song. Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. 
You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's hurt, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he who rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. These are beautiful, but they're eating on me. They're just as beautiful there, aren't they? I'm sorry, I, I noticed I was starting to itch because I could smell them. So if I don't smell them, I'm okay. But they look fine there. I'm sorry I had to do that, but it's, it's quite annoying on your part, I know, to see me do this the whole sermon. So um, I'll move them. If a time machine existed which could take you back to any time and place in history, I might be inclined to go back to a Sunday on a dusty road between Jerusalem and a village called Emmaus. There two men were walking on the day of Jesus' resurrection when the risen Savior appeared to them. Not recognizing him at first, they explained to him their confusion about the events of the last several days. He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. If there had been tape recorders then... I believe I would trade my library to obtain a recording of Christ explaining what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I'm certain that in the recording you would hear him explain Psalm 22. It speaks of Christ's suffering and his glory. On one level, the psalm refers to some event in the life of David, probably when he was being pursued by Saul. But there is no situation recorded in Scripture where David went through trials to the degree the psalm describes. David is going beyond himself, applying things periodically, prophetically to Christ. Thus, to do justice to the psalm, we must leave David's experience and focus on how it applies to David's son the Lord Jesus Christ. It describes a death by crucifixion. Hundreds of years before that mode of execution was known, the details of the psalm were fulfilled by the son of David, Jesus the Messiah, about 1,000 years after they were written. In all the Bible, there is found only one question Jesus ever asked his father. 
In phrasing his question, he borrowed the words of David in Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They contained all the agony he experienced during the dark hours on Calvary. In the abysmal darkness of separation from God, for the only time in eternity, Jesus cried out of the depths of his despair. Because Jesus experienced this total agony, he is able to identify with the feelings of despair that invade our lives today. All of us experience times when we cannot seem to find a reason or purpose for living and everything connected with the ongoing of life is blurred and indefinable. We all have those moments in our lives where we question who we are and why we're here and sometimes we find ourselves even in despair. Psalm 22, which describes a period in David's life can be divided into three sections for study. We can see in this passage of Scripture how it is to allow God to help us in our times of despair. First, the predicament in which the psalmist finds himself. What is the implication of David's question in verse 1? First, it indicates a sense of forsakenness. Here the same individual who wrote the incomparable 23rd Psalm expressing the closest relationship with God is now plumbing the depths of despair. He had come to a moment in his life when he felt totally alone in the world. This teaches us that there is nothing illusory about suffering. You see most of us focus on the 23rd Psalm. But most of us live in the 22nd Psalm. When Jesus was crucified, darkness fell upon the land from about noon until 3 p.m. When Jesus cried out the haunting words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We enter at once into the most unfathomable mystery of the gospel. No one can really know what was involved in God's forsaking Jesus during those three hours of darkness. We know that Jesus bore God's curse upon our sin and that somehow God in His holiness was forced to turn His back upon His Son while He bore that sin. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, who knew no sin, was made sin on our behalf. He bore God's wrath, which we deserved. He was forsaken by God the Father. None of us know what Jesus went through because none of us have ever been forsaken by God. God has always been with us. As we've said on so many occasions and remind ourselves in the Scripture, if God is for us, who? can be against us. David's cry also indicates perplexity. It is not true that faith asks no questions. Rather, a sound faith in God will help a Christian ask profitable questions in the hour of distress. David's question springs from his belief, not his unbelief. In spite of the acuteness of David's despair, he did not lose sight of God. He could still cry. My God, my God. It is a triumph of faith when one realizes even in the darkness of the deepest anguish that God is still there and that He is God with whom is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. How should we respond though to Christ who suffered for us? First, we should see both the greatness of our own sin and the greatness of Christ's love. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. His love made him willing to go there. The scripture teaches us in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, for each of us. The famous Dutch artist Rembrandt did a painting of the crucifixion. The focus of the painting, of course, is the Savior on the cross. But he also painted the crowd gathered around the cross. Standing there in the shadow at the edge of the picture, Rembrandt painted himself. Rembrandt, a participant in the crucifixion. You see, it's not popular in our day to emphasize our sinfulness. We find a way of laying blame for what we do wrong on someone else. We're good at it. 
We've learned it well. We're conditioned to do that. We see it all the time in the press and everywhere else, don't we? People will not take responsibility for their own sin. They find a way to deflect it. A way to make it look different than it really is. We want an upbeat message that glosses over sin. Our hymn book has even changed the words of Isaac Watts' hymn at the cross so that instead of would he devote that sacred head I looked it up just a while ago I misspoke in the first service I said when I survey the wondrous cross it's at the cross so if they tell you in the first, second service that no it's uh, in the first service that it's um, I, when I survey the wondrous cross you tell them no the pastor corrected that in the second service it's at the cross but in that hymn there used to be, a, it's not even in there now, even the little uh, asterisk that tells you that the words were changed. In that hymn, it used to say, would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Do you remember that? That's what it used to read, right? doesn't read that way anymore. But because now it reads, for sinners such as I, or for someone such as I. We're too good to call ourselves worms. That's what Jesus called himself when he bore our sins. Look at verse 6. But I am a worm and no man. Isn't that interesting? Even Jesus understood the high cost of sin. Second, we should submit to and trust him who ordained suffering to come into my life. Verse 22, 15 says, you lay me in the dust of death. The Hebrew, Hebrew verb for lay has the nuance of ordain or appoint. Although evil and godless people crucified the Lord Jesus, they did it in accordance with the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And so in one sense, it was the sovereign plan of God which put Christ on the cross. It was His plan for our redemption. How do you respond though when trials come into your life? The author of Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Not that he was disobedient before, but you don't know obedience experientially until you suffer. If you're going through a hard time, learn to obey by submitting and trusting. Trust in God. That's how Paul endured suffering, didn't he? When Paul was in prison, when Paul was beaten, when Paul was verbally abused, all of those things that happened to him, he said at one point, I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. And the reason he learned that was because of his trust in the Lord Jesus. Later, the same author tells us, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners, against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured by entrusting himself into the hands of a loving, sovereign God, and so should we. And third, we should trust when our prayers go unanswered. Jesus prayed for deliverance, but God didn't answer him at that point. God did answer in the resurrection, didn't he? But Jesus had to go through crucifixion and death before he received the answer to his prayers. And yet he continued to call God, my God and my help. Sometimes God will answer our prayers in a better time and in a better way from his perspective. But we may not ever understand it. But we have to trust Him as our God even though we don't understand. It is easy to begin doubting God when you pray and He doesn't seem to answer. Jesus understood that sometimes suffering leads to obedience. Sometimes we go through the suffering and come out on the other side and that experience gives us hope and opportunity to be ministers of Christ out of our suffering. Sometime God will answer our prayers in a better time and in a better way. At such times, come back to the miraculous prophecies of this psalm and let them bolster your faith. If God's word could accurately describe the crucifixion hundreds of years before that mode of death was practiced and predict the specific details of Christ's death, even down to the words his enemies would say and the gambling of the pagan soldiers for his robe, it is solid evidence that you are dealing with a supernatural book. 
in the Psalms. The words are there that we see later fulfilled in the crucifixion before crucifixion was even a mode of execution. So you can trust God and His Word even if you are going through trials and your prayers seem to be unanswered. And then second, as we look at this passage, David's plea for help. Is on the table. In Psalm 22, 19, David prayed, Be not far from me, O Lord, O my strength, come to help me. C.S. Lewis in his book, In the Problem of Pain, says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Perhaps it is not so much that God shouts, but that self is silenced. And the voice of God sounds so clearly in our souls when a great crisis comes. Trouble is a blessing when it drives us nearer to God, even though trouble doesn't feel that way, does it? And let me say to you, we can look around the world and see people who have far more troubles than we have, don't we? Can't. We, we can see that. But you see, trouble is in... The eye of the beholder, if you will. Your trouble is your trouble, isn't it? It doesn't matter about someone else's trouble in terms of your trouble. We can't define our trouble by someone else's worst trouble. Trouble for you is trouble for you. But that same trouble, that whether it's great the way we see it or it doesn't seem very significant at all, is trouble that God can help us through. At the lowest point of his suffering, remember Job? Job cried in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This was not an expression of blind faith or stoicism, but of a child of God holding on to his heavenly Father with the tenacity that only love can make possible. Do you hear that? He was not following God in a blind faith, he knew that even in the midst of the trouble he faced and even if God took his life, he still would worship him. He still would trust him because he knew that God had his best interest at heart. David's despair drove him to God instead of away from him because past experiences had taught him that God was merciful and gracious even in times of trouble. His conditioning refused to allow him to believe that God was unconcerned with his suffering. He was perplexed nonetheless. He bared his soul before God because of his trouble. But then the third thing we see, finally David's praise to God for deliverance from sorrow and suffering. Look at verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise him. Verse 22 reveals David's abrupt change in mood, followed by his admonition to all to praise God. It is as if some holy quietness had settled on the, tur on the turbulent soul of David. Now he was prepared to rejoice before the Lord. How often have we agonized through a long night over some problem, some unresolved heartache, only with the dawning of a new day to experience a rest in the Lord, a calm, a sweet peace that defies description. God promises weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This is often the way of God's providence as He works out His will in us. So overriding so the overriding message of Psalm 22 is because Christ suffered on the cross for our salvation, we must proclaim it to all nations. Put the cross at the center of your walk with God. When we learn to focus daily on the cross, our hearts are filled with joy and thankfulness for God's priceless gift to us. The cross also keeps me aware of my own sinfulness so that I don't trust myself but cling to Christ. Focusing on the cross helps us resist temptation as we remember that we are redeemed with nothing less than Jesus' blood. How can I sin against Him who so loved me? We tend to forget the cross because we don't want to think about it. But Jesus... And that is why Jesus ordained that we come often to the table in remembrance of Him. So that we can be reminded of the great price paid for our sin. 
that can put God's heart for the lost as the bottom line of your walk with God. He wants all the ends of the earth to turn to Him and worship Him. That means that if we are not actively focusing focusing on world missions, we are too self-focused. We are not in tune with God's purpose to be glorified in all the earth. We have His command to go and His promise that all the families of the nations will worship the Lord. How can they worship Him if they have not heard? How will they hear if we do not give, send, and go ourselves? The psalm closes with the shout of deliverance. Instead of forsakenness, the psalmist finds fulfillment. Instead of question, the answer is at hand. In spite of the bleak and doleful beginning of the psalm, the unbreakable strand of faith runs throughout. We can liken it to a communication cable that runs from the shore and dips down out of sight beneath the waves of sin and emerges on the other side. It is out of sight, but it's intact and the message is going through. Paul said it this way, didn't he? For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Christians accept the reality of suffering in the light of their faith and confidence in God's redemptive purpose. There are many things we do not and cannot know about suffering and sorrow. We do not share omniscience with God, but we do know that beyond this veil of tears is a brighter day. Christians can deal with despair when we are able to look in retrospect at God's sustaining grace during heart-crushing experiences in life. David came to that conclusion as he begun this psalm in despair. He ended it in victory because he knew that whatever came his way... God would walk with him, that God was there for him. When I was younger and my children were younger, I used to tell stories on them all the time in the pulpit. You all didn't get the pleasure or the heartache of that because my children were grown pretty much when I moved here. But now I have a granddaughter. So unless you tell her, I can tell a few stories about her from time to time. She is 10 months old on the 16th, and she's just about ready to walk. I'm going somewhere with this. This isn't isn't, uh, me bragging on my granddaughter in that sense. She can walk anywhere she wants to walk as long as she's in a walker or holding on to something that she can push. She'll walk everywhere. I got a picture the other day of her standing in the hall at her house, frozen, just standing there. They were trying every way they could to coax her to walk, and she was not having it. She was not ready to take that step without some kind of support, something to hold on to. Well, you see, that's the beauty of our walk with Christ. We never have to walk alone. We always have one that we can hold on to. And when we try to do it on our own, we will come to the same conclusion that Hallie does. I might fall. And it paralyzes us. But never forget, in despair and in the happy moments, God is walking with you. You see, David understood that by the end of this psalm, which led him then to be able to pen the 23rd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the one that leads me and guides me and takes me home. Always remember that even in life's despair, God is there. Shall we pray? Father, we are thankful for this 22nd Psalm. For it shows us the power of your love for us. The great gift that comes to us through salvation and redemption. 
I pray, Father, that if there be any here this morning who has never experienced this great love, that they will come to know you. Help us, Father, in our times of despair to remember what you can do and what you have done for each of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 618. I've got peace like a river. David found that peace when he found rest in God. And we can find it as well. If you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, do so now. For he is calling. Will you stand as we sing? Thank you for making this service a part of your morning and a part of your day. What a joy it is to be together in the house of the Lord. I'm grateful for our times together. Dwight is coming forward this morning because Sarah Wells, who has been working with him with the youth and working in our church in various capacities and ways with our children and youth, is taking a new job in northern Virginia. And so she is leaving us, and so we wanted to say goodbye to her in an appropriate way and have a prayer with her as she uh, journeys to um, northern Virginia, which in many ways is a foreign land. So, <laughs> so anyway, go ahead. Come on up, Sarah. You get me there, Cooper? All right. Anyway, again, this is Sarah Wells. and Come on in the middle here. And uh, I'll say, Sarah's been such a blessing to us. She was in my youth group at our former church, and I think she was there... About fifth grade when I got there. And so I was able to watch her grow in the Lord at our church. And then she went off to college, and she was looking for a community in which she could get involved and grow and serve. And she came here. I don't think she knew anybody here except for me and Bryson. And she came here, and she just got involved. She's been involved in BBS and Awanas every week and youth and missions and you name it, she's, she's been helping out in that. So we have been blessed as a church. And I think the right thing to do is when someone comes in and just pours their heart into uh, serving and ministering, is we support them, encourage them, and commission them as they go. So that's what we're going to do as a church today. Um, as she goes, we're going to commission to partner with her and to pray for her and expect God to continue to do great things. I feel like it's... Uh, it, it, it's it's a wonderful blessing because she came here, and I think she was looking for her place after college. And she is, I've seen her grow in the last couple of years, as you all have encouraged her, and she's encouraged us. And we're going to celebrate as she goes and serves in this new way. We will miss her, but we definitely want to challenge each other to partner, to continue to support her, encourage her and pray with her, and 
ask what God's doing in her life when she comes and visits us soon. So go ahead and tell us real quickly what you're doing in Northern Virginia, and then we'll pray as a church. You always wait till I start crying to make me talk. Um, I'm going to be going up to Northern Virginia to work at a sports facility. That It's got a bunch of indoor turf field sports complex, and it's paired with a church called New Life. The sports complex is called End Zone. And I'll be the assistant director of youth programs there. And as I told the little kids in Iwana's this past week, it's basically like I get to do Iwana's 24-7. So I just get to be with kids and planning different events and summer camps and Bible studies and after-school programs. So it's really where God's called me to be, and he just dropped it on me out of nowhere. And I'm excited to go, but sad to leave. And we affirm that, and uh, we definitely will miss you here, but trust that this is a wonderful step in her uh, life in serving Christ. So uh, as, as we should do, I would just ask you just to kind of raise your hand in prayer and just say, I'm going to pray for Sarah. Just go ahead and lift it up and just say, we're going to together, this is a sign of commissioning that together as a church, we're going to pray for her as she goes. This is her last Sunday, t- tonight at 6. If you'd like to come, we're going to have a little fellowship over in the small dining room for her, but we're going to pray her out as a church. So let's pray together. Father God, uh, we thank you so much for bringing Sarah to us. We thank you for the many ways in which she has blessed us and has been used by you uh, in, so, in so many uh, just wonderful times and opportunities. And, and God, we just, we just give her to you as she goes. We know that you're going to use her in uh, more and more tremendous ways. We thank you for opening this door for her, and we pray as a church that we would be with her in your spirit and that she would uh, represent you Uh, as fully as she can, and that you would get all glory in this next step in her journey. We pray for her in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to keep Sarah up here, and after the service, you can come forward and encourage her and pray for her if you'd like, and then I will now close us with our benediction. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, for this service. We pray as we go from here that we would be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would learn how to grow and to suffer and to follow for him. For his uh, namesake we pray, amen.